Good morning. Goodness, it's good to see everybody here today. What a, you guys look great. What a beautiful weekend. I'm telling you, this is what we uh, live and survive the winter for, isn't it not? Uh, so uh, we're glad that uh, you're joining us, and I pray you'll have a great weekend and a wonderful Memorial Day. So we're in a study we began a couple weeks ago in the book of 1 Corinthians, and uh, we're going to be walking through that book as we started, uh, like I said, a couple weeks ago. And when you, when you study a book of the Bible, you come across something that isn't necessarily something you would normally preach on or think about or talk about in a lot of ways. And today is one of those topics that we've come to today. But to be faithful to the text, we're going to jump right in and talk about this city of Corinth a little bit more because it kind of reminds me of the world that we live in today. Uh, Corinth was a city in the uh, country of Greece in the Apostle Paul's day. It doesn't exist anymore. But Paul had gone there. He had started the church. And it was a pagan city. Uh, much like our world today that we live in around us. Uh, it was pagan in a lot of ways, but uh, the most evident sin in the city was sexual sin. Uh, there were temples to goddesses that offered prostitution. There was fornication and adultery and abortion and homosexuality and transgenderism. Everything that we think of today in our world, it was there. Uh, we are living in a Corinthian-type world today. And social pressure was all around them. It was everywhere to view all these sins as normal and acceptable. Uh, there was a movement in that day, just like today, to say, hey, it doesn't matter what you want to do, do whatever. And, uh, you know, a sinful culture doesn't like to be called out. But Paul went into the city. He started a church there, and he called the church to be a light in the darkness. That's kind of what we're called to be today. And we have to stand for God's Word and God's truth and we also have to make sure that we don't allow sin to creep into the church, that we don't celebrate sin, and we don't even, we don't become proud of our tolerance for sin. And this is a big temptation, so that's kind of where we're at today. And you know, when you think about it, tolerance is a really interesting word that we've kind of lost the meaning for in our world. In our time, people think that tolerance means accepting other people's opinions, beliefs, practices, and taking them as your own. In other words, because if we're tolerant, we have to accept all of that. Because if you don't accept their opinions, their belief practices, and affirm them, then you're considered to be intolerant, or maybe some other harsher term. And, uh, you know, this is the tolerance agenda at its worst. Belligerent, unempathetic, completely lacking in self-awareness of its own inconsistency, of its own personal message. And that's kind of what we see in our world today. But tolerance... Um, seems to only go one, day, one way. And if you are a believer and you're aware of what's going on in our world today, it seems like it's normally against Christians who might hold Christian biblical values. The real meaning of tolerance is a fair, objective, and permissive attitude toward those whose opinions, beliefs, practices, racial, or ethnic origins differ from your own, freedom from big, bigotry. So it's clear that tolerance doesn't mean accepting and affirming and believing other people's ways, what it means is that we have a fair, objective, and permissive attitude toward other people's ways. It means it being kind and respectful about what another person believes without being forced to actually believe that yourself. And I can accept the fact that you have your own beliefs, but I don't have to accept them. I don't have to affirm them. In fact, I am free to disagree, to stand for what I believe, and to act accordingly. And we've kind of lost, you know, the, the awareness or the willingness to give that to other people, that gift to other people. Living in a free country, we can have a lot of freedom in what we believe, but we don't have to be forced to believe what other people believe. 
It's voluntary, volunteer if we choose to change our opinions. So understanding the meaning of tolerance sets the stage today for our scripture. Because tolerance allows us to establish a set of standards to judge what may or may not meet those standards, and then take a moral stand on those things if the Bible says that they're sin. That's not hateful. And in fact, that is a key ingredient in the Christian life in looking at the Bible, making decisions about what is acceptable and unacceptable behavior. And as Christians, we find our values in the Word of God. And that's kind of where we have to take a stand, as unpopular as that may be at certain times. See, the Word of God is unchanging. And it's truth. In my lifetime, I have seen a lot of changes in our culture, a lot of things that were never approved, never accepted in the past, now are normally approved. They're accepted. But that doesn't mean that they're right. If we follow the world's changing standard, the culture's changing standard, we're all going to be all over the place. We're going to be here, we're going to be there. But instead, we have an unchanging truth in God's Word. So we don't change our truth based on the changing culture. So with that in mind, we're going to read in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I'll invite you to turn with me if you would like to do that. Paul writes this. It is actually reported, now he's writing to the church, it is actually reported there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that not even pagans or pagans do not even celebrate, tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. So here in the church at Corinth, Paul, the word has gotten back that there is incest in the church. And it probably was a stepmother, we hope, you know, but, but a guy had called a woman mom and now he's taken her to the prom in some way. He's dating this woman, living with this woman. And Paul says, not even the pagans accept that. That isn't accepted in any, any type of culture. You know, incest is still not accepted in our culture today yet. And I always wonder, oddly enough, why? Because it seems everything else seems to be but that's not accepted in our culture. In that day, incest was condemned by Old Testament law. And even though this was a church and a city of Gentiles, they knew better. They knew that was wrong. Now, Paul knew the culture of that city and with everything going on, he wasn't real surprised about that. But what he was surprised about and alarmed was the church's response to that because they were embracing this couple that were living this way. They were accepting it, and they were actually proud of their tolerance of the situation. And we know that because the next word that Paul says, and you are proud, exclamation point. You are proud that you're letting this happen in the church without addressing it. And the people in the city, they were like, well, look how open-minded we are. Look how full of grace we are and love, and look how inclusive we are to these people. And what's going on here? But Paul is not pleased, and Paul is not proud of his church. He writes, says, goes on to say, shouldn't you have rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who is doing this? For my part, even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit as one who is present with you in this way. I have already passed judgment on the name, in the name of our Lord Jesus on the one who has been doing this. I think it's interesting here, and I'm not sure why. But if you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about the woman taking an adultery, and we asked, where was the man? Today, we read about the man taking an incest, and we wonder, where is the woman? But obviously, the man was more prominent. He was, should have been responsible in this case, and so yeah, that's the one that's mentioned here. But notice some things about this. The first thing that I notice in this is that church tolerance of alternative lifestyles is wicked. Church tolerance of alternative lifestyles is wicked. Paul says, 
You have buttons and bumper stickers and, and parades to show how tolerant you are. You say things while consenting adults ought to be able to do whatever they want to do. But instead of taking a stand, you're actually affirming their sin, and that becomes your sin. You should have gone into mourning, he said. You should have been heartbroken that someone who was a part of your fellowship is living openly, blatantly like this. They call themselves a Christian, but they're living in this way. You should be heartbroken about that. And you've got to do, deal with that. Guys, let's take a moment here to, to clarify that while incest is a sin, it's no more of a sin than living together before marriage, cohabitation, what we call it, sex before marriage, sex outside of marriage, homosexuality, transgenderism, or even lust. We like to categorize sin. Some are more horrible to us, but sin is sin. Lust is sin. Jesus equated it with adultery. So we can tolerate and we can love people in the lost world like this, but the church can't celebrate. We can't affirm. We can't accept any sin as normal and call that normal Christian behavior. And it's not just sexual sin either. Paul's going to go on in a few moments to address a lot of other sins. He's going to talk about how severely the church needs to think about and look at sin. But we live in a world today where these are common and they're encroaching on the church, but they can't be allowed and they can't be ignored by the church because sin like this, blatant sin, is evidence of a broken soul filled with sin, full of pride and perversion. And it's made even worse by the fact that it was openly flaunted. You know, when you talk about sin, you talk about dealing with it, we know we all sin, right? Every one of us do. So we're not running around looking to try to find people's sins, but when it's publicly flaunted and when we defend our sin, how many sins do we openly defend? We know we sin, we know we're guilty, we need to repent of that, acknowledge it, confess, repent of it. But when we try to defend our sins and we openly flaunt our sins, that's when it turns and becomes a whole different thing. The church can't allow people to live in sin and pretend it's okay. And that's true in the clergy. We just say it. Preachers have a greater responsibility. It's in the news all the time, isn't it? Shame on us. It's in the clergy. can't be allowed there. It can't be allowed in powerful politicians who have money to give to the church. It can't be allowed in wealthy families. It can't be allowed in children raised in the church. It just can't be allowed in anyone's life to be blatant and, and flaunted. The second thing I noticed that the church must discipline those who profess to be Christians and yet live a habitual life of unrepentant sin. Unrepentant sin. So he goes on to say, so when you are assembled and I'm with you in the spirit and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of our Lord. Paul is pretty firm. He says, this has got to be dealt with. You know, it's been my experience throughout ministry that if sin is confronted in the church, one of two things happen. The person either repents or they leave the church, one or the other. Very rarely do people push back against their blatant sin and insist that they're going to do this no matter what, thinks, what anybody thinks. They're going to be accepted in a church like ours that teaches and stands on the Bible. Rarely do people push back against blatant sin. You either acknowledge it or people seem to, to go away. Maybe find somewhere that does accept that. But sometimes we're so afraid that people will leave that we don't have the courage to confront like we should. And shame on us. Shame on the church. 
when we don't have the courage to acknowledge sin in our own lives and the sins of each other's lives. Nobody likes to confront sin, but it has to be done. And I'll tell you why in just a few moments. Why in the world do we have to do this? Why don't we just let people do what they want to do in the church? Why, you know, we love each other. Why can't we just brothers and sisters? It's consenting adults. It's a free country. And here's why. Because their eternity is on the line. James chapter 5 says, My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their ways will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. It's a powerful verse of Scripture. Not only does this verse, in my opinion, crush the doctrine of once saved, always saved, it also reminds us that all of us have blind spots in our lives. And every one of us need other believers in our life, someone who'll come alongside of us, who care about us and about our eternity to step in and help us because we are blinded by Satan, someone that can help turn us from the error of our ways. Now, if unrepentant sin wasn't devastating in a believer's life, we could just let it go. It's a lot easier just live and let live, right? But here's the thing. If we are silent in the presence of sin, it feels like affirmation. If we are silent, it feels like, oh, it's okay. If nobody challenges our sin, if we're not challenged by the Word of God, and many times we have a way of looking around our sin in the the Bible, if nobody challenges that, it feels like affirmation. It's like it's okay. And if the church is silent about sin within it, the church is failing their members. I believe that with all of my heart. Notice what Paul said to do, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. So in other words, what he is doing, what the other partner is doing too, is they're destroying their relationship with the Lord. They're outside the will of God. In their sin, they're under Satan's authority and will. And so we have to try and wake them up by confronting them about it. And if it is bad enough, if they push back and say, we're going to sin anyway, perhaps even putting them out of the church. It's harsh, isn't it? Kind of hard for us to put, wrap our heads around. But tell them they can't go on living and pretending that things are okay, what they're doing with the lifestyle that they're in. And you know what? Jesus spoke about this as well. We're going to look at several things because we, people say, well, Jesus uh, said we shouldn't judge each other, right? And we're going to read that scripture in just a few moments and talk about what, it, what he meant there. But in Matthew chapter 8, Jesus said, if your brother or sister sins... Go out and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen, even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What Jesus is saying is that the church has to police the church. Who's going to police the church? The church has to police itself, right? The church has to make sure that we don't have hypocrisy. We got to deal with that. So Jesus has a plan. You go to your brother or sister one-on-one. It's best if in, in relationship. If someone you trust and you love comes to you, hopefully you will listen to them. If not, two or three go and say, this is not just one, what one person's noticed, this is what is, is real and this needs to be addressed. And if, no, if they refuse that, then the church should deal with that. I believe that's the leadership of the church, not brought up in front of everybody, but the church deals with that and speaks on the church level. That's tough, isn't it? 
But keep in mind what the risk is, the person's soul, your eternity, that we need to be confronted in because we all have blind spots. I have blind spots. I could go off the rail. And if I do, you better come and tell me about that. You owe me that. Hopefully, you love me that much. Now, a lot of times we ask, well, who, what gives you the right to do that? What is our right to confront sin? Here's the right we have. We've been given authority and responsibility as believers. Jesus said that whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. When we're in the, the walking with God in the truth of his word, we have authority and we have more than that responsibility. And I believe that every Christian should take responsibility to lovingly confront sin one-on-one when they see it in another person's life. I'm not talking about picking out little things. I'm talking about blatant, unrepentant sin, defiantly standing up and saying, I don't care what the Bible says. When we get to that place, we're in trouble. And I also believe that elders in the church are responsible to step in and take the initiative when they are aware of blatant sin and unrepentant sin and carry out the steps of church discipline that Jesus just spoke about. Now, I want to tell you, there's no joy in any of that. No joy in it. And any, if you rush to do that and you enjoy that, then you're the wrong person to do it. But it's necessary. And it may sound cruel, but with the stakes so high, it is the most loving thing to do. Now, those who are confronted have two options, obviously, repentance or discipline. And if they repent, there is love and grace and mercy and support, and people come around them and lift them up and, and rebuild and restore them. But if they refuse, then the discipline is that you don't get to continue in the community where everybody pretends that you're not thumbing your nose at God's commands. See, repentance is evidence that a person is not walking with Jesus. Excuse me. Repentance is evidence that a person is walking with Jesus, and refusal to repent is evidence that you're not walking with him. Churches are not truly loving for one another if they're not honest with people about their sin. And so discerning truth, judging actions, and confronting sin are crucial to a church's faithfulness to its members. But here's another facet of that, and that is that churches become increasingly evil as they embrace alternative lifestyles. Churches become increasingly evil. Paul says, your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened loaf or batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So you may be proud, Paul says, that you're so accepting and so affirming, but you know what? Sin has a way of getting deeper and deeper and destroying just like yeast does. And I don't know a lot about yeast, but yeast is used symbolically a lot in the Bible about, and usually negative, about permeating. Uh, It's talking about influence. And just like a little bit of yeast Uh, permeates dough or the whole lump of dough and produces a notable effect. It makes all of it, uh, makes all of it yeasty. I know that's not a word, but it soaks into, and it is a word. Oh, it is a word. Our our local guy here knows all about that, uh, told me it was. So, so it makes everything just like it. So a little bit of yeast permeates and changes everything. And that's what Paul says, that a little bit of sin, when it creeps in, just gets bigger and bigger. And there is a dangerous and destructive trend in some churches today 
to accept and affirm the perversion of the world around us. I know it starts small, it seems innocent, it's called progressive, it may even be called love, but love without truth is empty. Love without truth is empty. It's not true love. It, it may feel good, but it's not true love. But the result of that is that sin spreads. And once you ignore or accept one sin, then where do you stop? And more people join in the sin. Sin is like a cancer in the church body. It's contagious. It spreads and grows until it kills. The church is the body and the bride of Jesus Christ. And we have to protect and maintain the integrity of the church. You don't want to be and I don't want to be responsible for the sinful decline of a church ever. We want to love people. We want to bring everyone to salvation. But our leadership is not going to let somebody test the boundaries of sin to see how much we'll accept. And we just need to make that known out there in the world. God sets the standard of behavior, not us, not our culture. So we're going to stand on the truth of God's word, and we're going to make judgments accordingly. Now, fourth, Paul's fourth point here is that Christians must be judgmental like Jesus. And this is hard to accept, right? This is hard for us to wrap our heads around. Paul said, I wrote in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of the world who are immoral or the greedy or the swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slanderer, a drunkard or a swindler. Do not even eat with such people. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. I mean, these may be the firmest words, strongest words that he's ever used, to be honest with you. And what I've noticed in, in my life is that Christians are notorious for expecting more from non-Christians than we should and expecting less from ourselves than we should. And what Paul is saying is raise the bar for Christians and lower the bar for non-Christians and understand that we should not be surprised when non-Christians act like non-Christians, but we should be shocked and alarmed when Christians act like non-Christians. Paul says that we should treat non-Christians with patient love, but hypocritical, unrepentant Christians with loving correction and if no response, then discipline for their, re their repentance. That's the goal, not to punish but to bring to repentance. Paul says, don't even associate with sexually immoral people. And I'm not talking about non-Christians. If you tried that, you couldn't, you couldn't, you'd have to leave the planet. You couldn't even go anywhere if you didn't want to associate with anybody who, who was a non-believer living a sinful life. We're not to judge the world. That's God's job to do. But we are to judge those who profess to be Christians and yet persist in blatant sin. Strong words, I know. Look at verse 11. You must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater, a slanderer, a drunkard, or a swindler. Do not even eat with such people. So it's not just about the sexual immoral. It's anyone who is in sin, locked in sin, and refuses to repent. Don't even eat with them. You know, this refers to what, what was called like table fellowship. They would not even share meals with people who were in sin. Or they would not allow them to take the Lord's Supper. And that's kind of interesting, isn't it? It kind of rings in our world today because a few Catholic priests have had the courage to deny politicians, including our president, not letting them take communion because of their stance on abortion. 
In fact, the statement they made was, any public figure who advocates for abortion places himself or herself outside of church teaching. And the latest one, obviously, the last week or so, was the Archbishop of San Francisco denying communion to the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi. It's in the news. So they've got the courage to say, this is what the Bible says, this is what the church teaches, and so they're practicing church discipline on them. And the world is screaming about it, correct? All right. This is one of the most difficult things that we face today. It really is. It, it's hard to think about and talk about. A lot of people who profess to be Christians are caught up in sin or promoting sin, maybe advocating sin, not in themselves, but advocating it. And, and to be honest with you, the, church is accused, the world has accused the church of judging them for so long that we have been silenced on this. It is hard to take a stand on these things, and the world's going to scream back at us, right? We're obeying the world, and we're disobeying God. But Paul makes it clear here. He says, what business is of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? Yes, rhetorical question. God will judge those outside, expel the wicked person from among you. So it's really a matter of jurisdiction here, and that is that God's going to judge those outside the church. Christians are commanded to judge those who are within the church. So let me just say this. If you're not a Christian, you're going to live your life. Hopefully somebody's going to talk to you about Jesus Christ. You're going to believe that he is the Savior of the world, the Son of God. You're going to accept him as your Lord and Savior. But one day, you're going to stand before a righteous God, and you're going to be judged by him, not us. Not us. We're not, going to, we're not going to judge anybody. We're going to stand for truth. We're going to pray for people, but we're not judging. It's God's job. We need to stop judging lost people and those who don't claim to be Christians. But for those in the church, we have to judge. You say, but wait a minute. Didn't Jesus say, thou shalt not judge? He did say that. But like a lot of scriptures, we take a little bitty piece of what was said and we stop there. And so let's take a few moments and look and see what Jesus did say and what the context of what he said was. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you'll be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. What Jesus is warning here about is just rank hypocrisy. And if we're hypocritical in the church, then shame on us. But what he's saying is, if you have a two-by-four in your eye, don't you be worrying about the speck of sawdust in your fellow Christian's eye. Do not judge people with a different standard of judgment than you judge yourself. So if you have sin in your life, repent of that and stop sinning before you stop try, start trying to help somebody else. But notice what he says, then you will see clearly to remove the speck in your brother's eye. The fact that you have a two by four in your eye does not take away the fact that they got a speck of sawdust in their eye. Both of them are problems. Your problem is greater. Deal with your own first. Deal with your problem, and then lovingly help your brother get the speck out of his eye. That's your responsibility, which requires that you judge your fellow Christian like Paul has said. Once you get your own act cleaned up. There's no discrepancy in these scriptures. There really isn't any at all. Jesus said to judge yourself with the same measure you judge others. Clean up your act, then you can help others clean up theirs. 
And I think along with this comes a lot of prayer, a lot of obedience in our lives. And here's the great thing, and I want to tell you this before I wrap up. Uh, we're not going to go into 2 Corinthians study right now, but in the second letter to the Corinthians, Paul says, hey, the guy that you confronted, he repented. And now you restore him. Now you love him. You don't make it hard on him. He came around. Obviously, the woman must have too. Now you restore them. The church obeyed. The man and woman repented. And now you restore them back to the fellowship. Guys, here's the bottom line of it all. The difference in us, we're all sinners, but the difference in us is whether we're willing to acknowledge our sins and give them to Jesus to be forgiven. If we stubbornly insist that my sin is different and God's going to understand and God didn't mean what he said, I know what the Bible says. If we say that, then we're in big trouble. And we need somebody around us that love us enough to say, hey, it really does matter. God did say that. God means that. And do that in a loving way. The Bible says that one day we're all going to be judged by a righteous God. And trying to do it with your, on your own without Jesus is going to lead to eternal separation from God. And claiming to love God and follow Jesus, but to continuing in our sin, is going to lead to eternal separation from God. That's what the Bible teaches there. The only way to be with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, is to make a decision to give your life to Christ and then make an honest and daily evaluation of yourself using the Word of God as your standard of judgment. And be honest with yourself and love people enough to be honest with them. If you're a Christian, be humble, be open, and even inviting for other believers to speak into your life and to judge your actions. We all can be blinded about things that we don't think are wrong. And understand that we have a loving responsibility. And we also have the authority to speak God's word into the lives of people. And one day, the Bible says that we get to judge angels. But that's a whole nother sermon. We're not going to talk about that today, all right? It's in 1 Corinthians, though, I will tell you that. Can you imagine that? That's the kind of authority that God gives his people to discern what is right and what's wrong. And I hope you understand my heart and spirit in this. And maybe it's just knowing me. I hope it's knowing me. You understand where I'm at. And this is hard for anyone. It is hard to go to someone and, because we're all aware of our own sin but if it's a sin is unrepentant and blatant, it has to be confronted. And the goal in this is to make sure that we are looking at our lives and that we are all in a place of confession and repentance and restoration of our relationship with God because open and blatant sin, unrepentant sin, shatters that relationship. It can be restored. It can be restored. But one day we're going to stand before the judgment throne of God and we want to be sinless because of Jesus and what he has done for us. And we can be. But we get there together. And that's kind of what the body of the church is all about. Not that we're trying to hunt each other down or anything, but it's just loving each other enough to say, hey, I'm concerned about you because of what you're doing and how you're living. And you don't seem to know that this is outside God's will. That's the most loving thing to do. Guys, I told you, it's just, this is tough stuff, isn't it? This is hard. But imagine what would happen if we loved each other enough to be able to do that. And that's kind of what the community, the body is all about, to lovingly come alongside and encourage so that one day in heaven, the church is all together. We're all there as a body, a family. This morning, um, I want to challenge you, whether you're a believer or not, 
one day we're going to stand before God. And we're either going to be the friend of God through Jesus or we're going to be the enemy of God because we tried to do it on our own. And so I encourage you, if you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus, today would be a great day to begin that. And I'd love to have a conversation with you. If you want to talk about anything that, that we have I've talked about today, I would love to sit down with you and talk. If it sounds overly harsh, I, I'd love for you to see my heart in this and, and, and really kind of study through it together. I, want to, I would love to do that. If you want somebody to pray with you, we're going to be up front here, uh, Tony, myself, and Humero is going to step up if you want to come up and just and pray. If you want to spend, go and pray by yourself, you know, I, I encourage you to do that as well. Today and this moment is a great time to come clean before God and be honest with God and invite him into our lives afresh. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Father, the, the Bible isn't always easy to read. Uh, it's, it's, it's very... Uh, convicting sometimes. And today has been a day like that. Lord, I pray that you would help each of us look at our lives and be honest with you and know that our sin matters. It matters to you. It matters um, to, to our eternity. And Father, it needs to matter to the church as a whole. That we keep, to keep the church pure and holy because the church is your body, that you died, uh, your son Jesus died for the cross, the church and established the church. So Lord, help us to value the church to hold it high, to keep it pure. Lord, I pray that we begin that in our own personal lives. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.